Please remain standing and pray with me. Almighty God, we do ask that you would come among us and inhabit your word. Make it come alive for us through the word that has been read and through the word that will be preached here. I pray that you would empower me to proclaim what is your word clearly and boldly. For this morning, Lord, I do feel weak, and so I pray that you would strengthen me for this task. And so I commend us all to your love and care this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is, um, it's, I was able to preach at the Feast of St. Mary a few weeks ago, but it's good to be back. This is the first time I've preached in, on Sunday since early July, and so I am excited uh, for, for this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to our lesson from the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. In this lesson, God addresses his people who are in exile, and he seeks to encourage them by fostering within them a resilient hope in him for their future salvation, restoration, and flourishing. Now, why would they need encouragement? If you don't know the story, well, they lost everything when they were taken into exile. Many had lost family and friends in the siege of Jerusalem. They had lost the outward markers and emblems, the symbols of their national and spiritual identity. The temple was destroyed. The king was dethroned and was imprisoned, taken away into exile. There was a puppet placed in his stead. And the people were removed from the land and their homes that God had given them as an inheritance. They were powerless to change their circumstances. They could not redeem or restore themselves. Hope was hard to come by, to say the least. As we know, and we, as we know, we know what that's like when hope is hard to come by. We might not have been faced with exile in our lives, but we know what it's like to face a situation where it seems hopeless, where we seem powerless to change our circumstances. Whether those circumstances involve a besetting sin that seems always to get the upper hand in your life or some disease that strips you of vigor and brings you face to face with your own mortality or depression, anxiety, or any number of emotional or psychological challenges that face us in this broken world. And of course, we can go on and look at the breakdown of marriages and relationships between parents and children and among friends to the brokenness within our society seen at every level from the tragic murder of the unborn to the senseless acts of violence and greed to the all-too-common languishing away of our elders in isolation. The point is this. At some point, or at many points in our lives, we will know what it's like to face circumstances beyond our control. And when we encounter such circumstances, it's all too easy to lose hope in God, is it not? All too easy to lose hope in God. And we lose hope when we fail to hear God's voice. And when we lose sight of his presence with us, even in the midst of such circumstances. 
That was the danger for Israel in exile, and it's still the danger for us today. So I think God has something to say to us from Isaiah chapter 51 to prepare us for when circumstances of life are beyond our control. By establishing in our hearts a resilient and enduring hope in him. The question for us this morning then is this. How does God establish in our hearts such a resilient hope? Such an enduring hope in him, even for those seasons where it seems impossible to hope. But before we look at how God answers this question in Isaiah, we need to notice that he addresses his word of encouragement in verse 1 to those who pursue righteousness, to those who seek the Lord. You see, following God according to his ways does not close us off from encountering and experiencing circumstances that are simply too much for us to handle. Whether it's raising our children or suffering bereavement or whatever it may be. God addresses folks here who are doing everything right. The ones pursuing righteousness, the ones seeking God's face. Their lives are oriented to God. They're pursuing with singleness of mind and heart his righteous character and seeking to manifest that character in their lives. Yet these folks are in exile too. Experiencing their world turned upside down with all the cost involved. They lost family and friends as well. They lost the emblems of their national and spiritual identity. And God knew that even these righteous ones would begin to ask, why? Why continue to listen to the voice of God when doing so seems to take us into moments and indeed seasons of darkness? Why? This is, of course, the observation of Kohelet, the preacher who, in the book of Ecclesiastes, notes In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his days in his wickedness. It's in these moments when we see the righteous suffer and the wicked prevail, when we see the world not as it should be, broken and twisted, when our desire to overcome the sin within appears weaker than the urge to gratify sin's desire in us. It's in these moments when we can begin to lose hope and ask, why should I listen to God anymore? And it's here, amid a waning hope and circumstances that are beyond our control and which appear to speak against God's faithfulness and his character, that God himself shows up and speaks. He speaks a word of encouragement that answers not only why we should continue to listen to his voice, but also it answers our central question this morning. How does God establish within us a resilient hope in him? Here's the answer from Isaiah 51. God reveals here that a resilient hope is the product of a life saturated with the stories of God's faithfulness in the lives of his people and of his creation. A life saturated with the stories of God's faithfulness in the context of his people's life and in the context of creation. 
Look with me there at verses 1 through 3. This is where we'll focus this morning. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him. Right, that's referring to the Abrahamic promise of Genesis 12. He was one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him that I might bring life into his barrenness, into the barrenness that Abraham and Sarah were experiencing. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places, her desert places, and he makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. At Israel's bleakest moment, God's voice calls them to remember his faithfulness to Abraham and Sarah, to remember all that he had, all that they had been taught from their childhood concerning him and his ways with his people and with his creation. In essence, God is saying, I know redemption and restoration may seem impossible to you right now. But don't forget this, that I am the one who took Abraham from the very land in which you are exiled, and I brought him against all odds to the land of promise that I promised to him and to you, his children. And when it seemed impossible even for Sarah to conceive in her old age, I gave her and Abraham a child, a son. And from Isaac and his son Jacob, whom I renamed Israel, I have honored my promise to give Abraham a great nation. Your very lives are a testimony to my faithfulness. And of course, what God is doing by drawing attention to Abraham and Sarah is not to put the spotlight on them alone, but to draw into focus his covenant faithfulness that begins with Abraham all the way until the present moment while they're in exile. That present moment of darkness which they are facing. And he reminds them in calling upon Abraham and Sarah that he is the God who transforms barrenness into life like he did in Genesis 1. Like he did in Genesis 2. 12 and through the entire story of Abraham and Sarah. He is the God who redeems languishing slaves, making them royal priests. He is the God who overabundantly sustains a nation in a lifeless wilderness. He is the God who elevates a lowly shepherd boy, David, to become a king, the king, and creates the dynasty that will rule the world. And he is the God who remains faithful to David and his descendants forever because he is the God who sends his only son to take on human flesh to become, by means of the cross, resurrection, and ascension, the long-awaited redeeming king in the line of David. God is drawing together in this reference to Abraham his entire history 
with creation and with the people of Israel. And he is saying in that dark moment, do not forget. Do not forget. Hold out. You know, it's the author of Lamentations. This is a constant theme through the prophets. It's the author of Lamentations who, through three chapters, is is making an accusation against God and a lack of faith. Where are you at? Why has all this happened to us? And he finally comes there around verse 20 of chapter 3, and he bottoms out, and he says, But then I remembered that you were a God, merciful and compassionate, long-suffering and gentle. You will not destroy us all. Hope emerges in that defiant act of remembrance and memory. You see, a resilient hope is based on the past faithfulness of God to his promises and to his people. And we can see that clearly in the lives of the saints, whether in the old covenant community of Israel or the new covenant community of the church. And here at this moment, at this point, I think Wendell Berry aptly warns of what happens when we forget our stories. When he writes in a, a wonderful essay called, um, I forget the name of it now, Do the Cultivation of Culture. When he writes this, when a community loses its memory, its members no longer know one another. How can they know one another if they have forgotten or have never learned one another's stories? If they do not know one another's stories, how can they know whether or not to trust one another? You see, Barry's wisdom here applies also to our relationship with the triune God and to one another in the church. For we have been drawn up into the community of the Trinity by God's grace and through baptism So how can we come to trust God, much less one another, if we do not know the stories of God's faithfulness in the lives of his people, as recounted in the scriptures and through the history of the church up until the present? This means that we must saturate our lives with these stories of God, his grace at work in the context of our lives, his grace at work in the context of the saints' lives in the history past, whether it was Old Testament or New Testament. If we want to prepare ourselves and our children to face the challenging circumstances of life as faithful Christians, whether as singles, spouses, parents, students, tradesmen, professionals, amid all the pressure in our culture not to live faithful Christian lives, if we want to prepare ourselves and our children to face the news that your newborn child will be taken from you and life flighted, to face cancer or some other disease, to face physical and mental decline as we age, and eventually to face death? If we want to prepare ourselves and our children to face all these things with a resilient hope, then we must, we must saturate our lives with the stories of God's faithfulness in Scripture and in the lives of his saints. It's imperative. It's imperative. That's all that God gives here for the encouragement. Just look past. That'll encourage you to look forward to the salvation that's coming. That's verses 4 through 6. You see, this is a call for deep 
and thick Christian catechesis. A catechesis that involves three catechizing institutions. The church, the home, and what we don't have right now, but we pray that we will one day, by God's grace, the parish school. The church, baptism, it's what inaugurates us. It's what brings us into God's family when we come to the waters by faith and repentance. And we're going to do that in the second service for felicity. But baptism is what inaugurates us and indoctrinates us and dunks us, for lack of a better term, into the stories of God's family. We become a family member in the priesthood of all believers. We become a family member in God's family, a co-heir with Christ. The stories of the saints are now our family stories. How else do we catechize through the church? Well, word and sacrament, what we do every Sunday, where we rehearse and we retell the central story of God's faithfulness. Don't just let the liturgy pass you by week week by week. Enter into it. Absorb it. Listen to it. Hear the central story of God's faithfulness enacted in Jesus' incarnation, his death, resurrection, and ascension that climaxes for us in this service in the reception of Holy Communion. Hear the stories of God's faithfulness in the word read and preached. We also are catechized in the church by Christian friendship and kinship, the communion of saints, both past and present. We need to know one another's stories. We need to know the story of God's faithfulness in, in our lives together. A second catechizing institution is the home, and there we must saturate the home in prayer, calling upon the God of past faithfulness to be the God of present faithfulness. We must saturate the home with Scripture and Scripture's example, like Deuteronomy 6, where we are called at every waking moment, whether outside of the home or inside of the home, whether we're doing something with our heads or with our, hand, with our head or with our hands, we are called to have it oriented all to God, to be shaped by His stories of faithfulness, by His laws. And then, of course, within the home, we need to tell again and read not only for our children, but also for ourselves as adults, the lives of the saints. Every adult ought to buy a children's book of the saints. It's great. It's encouraging. There are these great graphic novels that um, Ancient Faith Press puts out. I highly encourage them. They are wonderful. They're engaging, not only for children, but also for adults. And they will challenge you in your walk of faith. That third mediating or that third catechizing institution. This is one for us. This is, a, this is a prayer. This is a desire. This is a goal for us to work towards as God blesses us is a parish school. And this is the most significant way we can honor those baptismal vows that we're going to make on your behalf at the 11 o'clock service. But those baptismal vows we make with the children here at Christ Church and with any person who comes to the waters of baptism, because education is a great commission task. Because that is the best way, the most significant way we can enter into making disciples of the people here, and especially our children. The parish school also provides us the opportunity to provide consistent Christian catechesis. Christian schools are great. 
but a parish school that aligns itself with the worship and theological life of this church is essential. Why is it essential? Because at every moment of our waking lives as adults and at every moment of our waking lives of our children, we are being catechized by the world around us. We need a thick community, a deep community that catechizes our children. And then lastly, their parish schools are important because they catechize adults as godparents and as, care, as carers for children and also parents. And we're going to talk more about that this coming fall when we look more deeply in some sermons around this essential aspect of our life together in the future of a parish school. Christchurch, these are the means by which we can grow deeply and to be deeply rooted in Christ. The church, the home, and Lord willing, a parish school here where we can cultivate within ourselves and within our children a resilient hope in God so that we might stand amid the winds that will inevitably, inevitably batter our lives and test our faith. May God help us. Pray, pray that God will encourage us and strengthen us with such a hope. And may we respond to the challenge of cultivating it in our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.